Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Dream Bigger podcast. I'm your host, Sif, and I'm the founder of Array. And on this podcast, you can expect conversations with thought leaders and experts who will inspire you to feel your best. Today, I'm chatting with Dr. Amy Killen, an expert on sex and skin. I am so excited to bring you this conversation because I've always felt like sex is such a contradictory subject. Everything is over-sexualized, but there's a lack of real education around sex. Like really think about how lacking our education is when it comes to sexual health. We get a 30-minute super awkward sex ed class in school, and then after that, it's cosmos and stories we exchange with our friends. Yeah, things are changing and sex is becoming a less taboo subject when it comes to meaningful education, but we still have a really long way to go. I really hope that this conversation with Dr. Amy gets you prioritizing your sexual health because it really is an incredibly important part of her overall well-being and it needs to be tied into the wellness conversation. So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Amy to the Dream Bigger podcast. Okay, so the first thing I want to know is how you landed up specializing in skin and sexual health. (laughs) Uh, It was kind of a long story, but I was initially an emergency physician. I was an ER doctor for about 10 years. And towards the end of that, I had uh, I had my kids, and I basically decided that the ER was uh, it was causing a lot of stress on my body and in my relationship and with my family. So I decided to start learning about integrative medicine and preventative medicine and kind of just how to become healthier um, in my life. And eventually transi- transitioned out into really working in that space. And what I found with my patients in that integrative medicine space was that once I kind of got them to a place where they had reached a foundation of health, they were no longer in sort of survival mode, they would always ask me for help with either their sex lives or their skin. And so over time, I, yeah, it was always one of those two. And so over time, I was like, you know, these are, these two things are kind of like this next level of health that people start to look at once they've generally, you know, kind of become healthy. And and so I became very interested in how those two things um, affect health and what we can do about them. You know what? You're so right now that I think about it. Like, I feel like those are the two things that are probably like the biggest complaints or like not even complaints. I think people are just more curious about like how to optimize those two things once they get like, I guess, like the the basics right, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, once you get over, you know, like so many people are just 
you know, strung out on life, if <laughs> for lack of a better yeah. term, you know, there's, they're, they're overstressed, they're, um, they're depressed, they're not motivated, you know, they're maybe overweight, like, there's all these other things going on. And obviously, when that's happening, you focus on those things, or maybe it was like me, I just had three babies in two years, and I was completely uh, just, you know, just stressed from all of that. Uh, but once I came out of that kind of fog stress state, then I was like, oh, well, what else is there? Like, what else could I focus on? And then and skin and sex were big things. For sure. So is there like a link between skin and sex? Or is it just, you know, you just decided to kind of specialize in it because those were the two topics that you found were like, quite underserved, I guess. It was initially because I found that they were underserved in the in the realm of kind of integrative and regenerative medicine. So certainly there are plastic surgeons, dermatologists who are taking care of skin quite well mm -hmm. in the disease right. state. But I was interested more in, in people who are, you know, who are trying to become healthier, um, who are doing all the things kind of in that integrated preventative space. And then how can we optimize or, or make better, you know, skin and sex. But, but it turns out there actually are so many links um, and things that, you know, things that we do to improve skin also work for sex and things that, you know, lifestyle change that we make for sex also work for skin. So it turns out they're actually very interrelated. Really? So could you give me like one example? Is that is that like too broad, I guess, of like one thing that someone can do to like sort of improve both? Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, that's, I mean, one easy thing is to yeah. exercise. And so we talk about exercise, we know it's good for us, but it, one of the reasons it's, it's so good for us is because it increases your nitric oxide levels in your blood, which basically is the, it's the chemical that tells your blood vessels to vasodilate or open up. So the blood can flow to different parts of your body. Now, as you can imagine, this is really important for sex because nitric oxide is the, it's the chemical that essentially says, Hey, we got to get blood down in the pelvis, um, to get the clitoris enlarged and the penis enlarged and all of those things. Um, well, it turned out that nitric oxide is also really important for skin. And in fact, the cells of your, of your uh, skin rely on nitric oxide to maintain a lot of their barrier function and to maintain a lot of their other uh, vascular function, blood flow functions, things like that. So something as easy as exercise, which we know intuitively is very healthy, um, you don't really necessarily know why until you start really digging into it. And, and blood flow, nitric oxide are some of the, one of the big reasons. I love that. That's really, I mean, such a small, easy tip, but I feel like can make a world of difference. It can. Absolutely. <laughs> so I feel like these days, everything is over-sexualized, but it's like really surprising to me, the lack of meaningful and like, like educational conversation around sex. So do you like in your practice or like just from interacting with people and being in this field, do you like notice a particular myth or like a few myths that about sex that, you know, you, you kind of want to bust? You know, there are definitely a lot of different myths out there. I think one of the myths is that, that you, your sex life has to suffer as you get older and start having some age related changes in your, mm -hmm. in your body. Um, I focus a lot of, you know, a lot of my patients are in the 35, plus range so that they're, you know, oftentimes going through hormonal changes or they're, they've already had children and their bodies are changed and they're not really sure what to do about that. Um, or, you know, age related changes and they, especially women, you know, just kind of accept that, well, my body's changed, so sex shouldn't feel as good and it shouldn't be as good and that's okay. And, you know, and they'll just kind of like, women just kind of suck it up and they're like, yeah, this is just how it is now. <laughs> 
mm-hmm. but but the truth is there actually are a lot of things that we could do for both men and women but you know women in your audience there are a lot of different tools that we, we have now that are not invasive to try to kind of um, re- regenerate or rejuvenate those tissues to help mm-hmm. make sex feel like it did when you were you know 18 or 25 or whatever it is <laughs> whatever you were having at the beginning I I mean, that's, that's super interesting, because I feel like that myth is sort of everywhere. And like, even even men, I feel like they almost start relying on Viagra after a certain age, you know, it's like, oh, like, it'll only work if you know what I mean? Right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and there's there, there's so many, there's there's the myth that, you know, that men always need Viagra after a certain age, like like you said, and actually, you know, Mm -hmm. if you can stay for men, if you can keep healthy, and generally keep metabolically healthy, meaning that you, you know, you don't have diabetes and high blood pressure and high cholesterol, and you're not overweight, and you are exercising, and you're not stressed, and you are sleeping, and you can do kind of all the right things most of the time. Um, you, you could push off needing drugs like Viagra, you know, a good 10, 20 or more years. It's really about the choices that you make, you know, every day. And that's true for women as well. So essentially you're saying that like, I mean, like people can go on to like have like healthy, um, like pleasureful sex up until like 60, 70 years of age. Yeah. I mean, I honestly have patients in their like I just re- recently, a few months ago, treated a 77-year-old woman in my office um, who wrote me this amazing little note afterwards. And basically, you know, she was like, you know, I, I didn't remember that it could feel this good. And I'm so happy that it did because it's brought, it's brought, you know, brought me so much happiness just sort of getting back in touch with my sexuality. Um, so yeah, there's no reason, especially as we're as a as a world going to start to be able to live longer and live healthier with some of the different um, longevity tools that will be coming out, there's no reason that we can't uh, have that sexual longevity as well as sort of just general lifespan longevity. That's amazing. So what can someone do to like, if they're, if they're a little older, like what can they do to sort of ensure that their sex life continues to stay healthy? So if you're are if everything is going pretty well and you're already healthy and don't have any problems, the main things I, I recommend focusing on are, um, you know, just keeping healthy in general, keeping your body healthy, because obviously everything that affects uh, your body is going to affect your sexual organs. The main thing are blood flow and making sure that you have good blood flow and trying to reduce your risk for things that would compromise blood flow. So anything that's going to put you at risk for cardiovascular disease, like heart disease or strokes or things like that, those are all going to be all the same risk factors that put you at risk for at least certain types of sexual dysfunction for both men and women. Because if you can't get blood you know, through the arteries into the genitalia, um, then you're not going to be able to have the responses that you are wanting to have. Uh, and then with women, the other big thing is keeping the pelvic floor muscles really healthy. As we get older, a lot of times uh, those muscles kind of atrophy uh, because they're not getting worked as much. And and so that's something else. You know, there's there are all kinds of pelvic floor muscle programs that you can do. There's Instagram accounts. I have all kinds of like PT, physical therapists who follow me who are always like commenting on different things. But there are also like all kinds of at-home devices now that are that women can use to strengthen their pelvic floor muscles. There are these, you know, there's gamified apps where you essentially have a, an app on your phone that's like you're doing Kegels and the app is like tracking you as you like go through a maze. And it's, you know, it's, it's like there's really cool tr- uh, toys out there now to help you strengthen your pelvic floor, which will also go a long way towards having more pleasurable orgasms and and not having urinary leakage and things like that later on. 
That is so, so interesting. So like basically everyone should be starting doing their Kegels ASAP. (laughs) Yes. I mean, Kegels for sure. You know, obviously if you're 25 years old, Kegels are probably not even on your mind. But if you have, especially if you've had kids or if you're getting older, 35, 40, um, then, you know, Kegels and then sort of the uh, the souped up Kegels with some of these technologies can make a huge difference in, in how that pelvic floor ages. And like, are these things that are like more, more so preventative or corrective, if that makes sense? So like, should you like the, like, you know, is it like skincare products where like the sooner you start taking care of your skin, the better it is? Or like, is it, you know, I can start doing these exercises when I'm older? Like, what do you recommend for younger women to sort of stay healthy and kind of promote that longevity when it comes to their sexual health? You know, I think in younger women, the main thing is, is education and making sure they understand, you know, what that must, what those muscles are, how to access them, um, and how to activate them. And, you know, and then maybe, yeah, bringing some Kegels into your daily habit um, is, it's super easy to do. No one else in the room ever has to know you're doing it. And even even if it's just, you know, a few times a week uh, for a few minutes here and there, it's something that you're aware of. So as you, as you get older, you can continue to, to work on those muscles. And then if you need to correct, you know, problems down the line, then there are other things that we can add in. I love that. And so in terms of like just speaking about this, like continuing on this trajectory, if someone really wants to, I guess, um, enhance their sexual health, their sexual pleasure, are there certain foods and supplements that we can add to our routine? Yeah, the, there's all kinds of sort of foods that are supposed to be aphrodisiac kind of foods, but there's not a ton of science behind most of that. The main things that I recommend um, are foods that are going to increase your nitric oxide levels. So the thing, things that are high in nitrates, like green leafy vegetables, um, beets, even dark chocolate, all of these foods uh, can inc- will, will, will increase your body's ability to make nitric oxide, which again is that chemical that's te- it's opening up the blood vessels and letting the blood go to different different parts of the body. So. Um, that's a key thing. The other thing, and I tell men this especially because it's very important for men with erections, is to avoid using antiseptic mouthwash every day. Really? Um, yeah. So it's it's. I think it's so interesting. But mouth antiseptic mouthwash, so the, the kind that's going to like Listerine, for instance. What it does is it actually kills the bacteria in your mouth, right? But the problem is that you have this oral microbiome, just like you do everywhere else where you have sort of some good bacteria that have a job to do. And part of the job that they're supposed to do is they're supposed to uh, activate these nitrate-rich foods and begin the first process of turning that that food into nitric oxide. And so if you kill those bacteria because you're swishing with Listerine twice a day because you, you, know, you thought it was so good for you, uh, it turns out you're killing those good bacteria and now you actually can't get the benefits of the nitrate-rich foods anymore. Um, so you can you can still get nitric oxide from other things like exercise or sunlight or, or things like that, but you're not getting it from food. So it's super easy to do. Just don't use mouthwash or at least not every day. That is wild. I would have never thought. I know. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's super cool. You, you know, people always ask me like, "Well, can you you can you can you?" I always get people always say, "Can you still brush your teeth?" And I'm like, "Of course, you should still brush your teeth." <laughs> like, this is not like a free for all. This is not a just go and like have bad dental care. This is really about avoiding certain types of mouthwash. <laughs> oh my god, that is so funny. Um, the next thing I wanted to ask was like about stress because. I mean, does it does it have a link to stress? Because 
I feel like it's it's not good for sexual health being stressed out. Oh my gosh, such a link, especially in women, but certainly I mean men and women, but especially in women because uh, so much of how excited you are, ready you are to have sex, you know, is tied to what's going on in your head. Uh, you know, there's there's jokes that like you know with women, your 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 libido or your your sex drive and whether or not you want to have sex starts like in the morning, and whether or not someone did the dishes for you, or whether or not there's like you know dirty underwear on the floor, or, you know, there's the things like like in your daily life that stress you out, um, or your work schedule, whatever, that is, it's going to do all kinds of things. It, it changes a lot of your hormones. And so it can, it can change, like, for instance, lots of stress will inhibit your testosterone production, um, which women make testosterone as well. And if you're not, if you don't have testosterone, uh, then you're not going to be you know, oftentimes as interested in having sex, um, it, it affects your sleep, it affects your other hormone productions. And, and also when you have a lot of stress, you're kind of in this fight or flight mode, you know, this sort of sympathetic mode, which is where you're, you're, uh, you're just, you're ready to, you know, ready to essentially fight or flight, which is the exact opposite of the modes you need to be in to be able to really engage in a pleasurable sexual, you know, activity. And what, what are your favorite ways to sort of ease stress and like, you know, ensure that you're, you're still having healthy sex? You know, I, there's all kinds of things. The things that work for me personally, I love yoga. I love walking, like just going on what I call walkabouts where I just go outside and walk around in the mountains and, you know, and just kind of like hang out by myself for an hour or two. Um, a lot of people really like journaling or working on breathwork activities or just, you know, sitting and meditating. It's really very dependent on the person, but you want to be doing something that is very, very relaxing for you and something that, that makes you kind of tune in to how you're feeling, how you're thinking, that you don't have a lot of distractions around you. Um, and, you know, ideally you'd be doing that kind of thing on a, on a daily basis. Right. Um, I want to ask you, like, are there, are there certain like foods or like things that you ingest? I mean, obviously aside from mouthwash that really like, um, I guess, like in, inhibit your ability to have a sexy, sorry, a healthy sex life? There's not any, any specific food. The only thing that I always caution people about is eating too much sugar and foods that get made into sugar. So simple carbohydrates, because over time, those are going to be the types of foods that are more inflammatory to your system, meaning that you're going to, you know, it's going to create um, higher levels of inflammation especially like in your blood vessels and your arteries, those, those kinds of foods, you know, especially when you add in other genetic factors and such can, can predispose you to, to developing like atherosclerosis or plaque in your blood vessels, which again is going to cause hampering of blood flow over time. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not like you can't have a piece of cake here and there. It's just that maybe you shouldn't eat cake all day long or that you shouldn't have, you know, just pasta all day long. Cause that, that, over time can be pretty damaging to your hormones, to your, um, to your blood vessels, to all kinds of things. Also, since we're already on this topic, I also wanted to find out about like the impact of like certain foods on skin, because like I'm, you know, like I'm a big proponent of like certain foods are inflammatory and like, I feel like my skin feels it right away. Mm -hmm. So like what from your, um, 
from your practice and like, you know, just being in this, in this industry and like just studying things, um, what, what do you think is like the impact of certain foods on skin? Like, do you see that often? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's very, it's very dependent on the person. I, I don't think that saying blanket statements like dairy is bad for your skin or mm-hmm. sugar is bad for your skin is, is appropriate because everyone has extremely different reactions. I do think that if you are, um, if you're prone to breaking out, for instance, or getting rashes or or things like that where you really need to get down to what's causing it, one of the things that you can do is, you know, kind of eliminate the most common problems, which are things like gluten, soy, sugar, um, peanuts can be pretty inflammatory, dairy. Um, I'm sure I'm missing some other ones, but essentially eliminating some of the most common problems. And then you kind of add them back slowly to see if if you have different reactions when you add them back. Um, or you can take, you know, you can take uh, food allergy testing and such as long as you know how to read those things. But but absolutely, I mean, if you have an intolerance or an allergy to a specific kind of food, it will oftentimes show up on your skin as a rash or as, you know, acne or something like that. So it's good to know <laughs> what kinds of things work for you and what don't. What are your favorite tips for healthy skin? Like if you could give me three. Stay out of the sun. Or, and a modified version of that is at least keep your face out of the sun. Because um, that's the, you know, we know that the sun is the number one cause of aging of our skin. So I'm not anti sun. I love the sun myself, and I'll go out for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes and my body will get sun, but I always keep my face, you know, I always have sunblock on my face and neck. Um, the other thing is using a daily retinol or a retinoid. I think even you know even if you're in your 20s before you go to bed, put put a retinol or retinoid on. Um, that's probably the most studied um, substance, anti-aging substance for our skin that we know about. Of course, there's all, all kinds of other topicals that are great, but that's a, a solid one. Um, and then and then probably the third one would be something in the sort of stress sleep uh, realm. You know, sleep well, stress less, kind of thing. Those make huge differences on your skin and how your skin ages. I mean, they don't call it beauty sleep for no reason. They do not. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Going back to um, the retinol retinoid, I want to get really specific. Do you have any like specific brands that you love? I right now am loving a brand called Skin Better Science, um, which I don't know if they have it. I think it's an international brand. It's pretty new the last few years. Um, but they make a retinoid that is it's, and I have no association with these guys. They make a retinoid that is called uh, Alpha Ret. And what I like about it is it's a pretty strong retinoid, but it gets absorbed really quickly. So you don't actually get the irritation and redness that you tend to get with the stronger retinoids. Um, even like around my eyes, around my patient's eyes, places where, you know, you got to be kind of careful with retinoids generally, you can apply this. And um, they've got some some great studies behind them as well. But I just find that it's super well tolerated tolerated by, by my patients and um, really easy to use and really effective. Oh, I love that. I'm definitely going to check them out. Yeah, you have to get them through a you have to go through a physician's office. Um, uh, but you know, there's some online portals and things. So if, if you or any anybody listening has questions, you can contact me and we can get you in. Perfect. Um, okay, so I know that that this next question it's almost like a like a crossover between um, skin and sex. But I have heard of like PRP facials. But I w- when I was doing my research, I found out that you administer PRP on sexual organs as well. I thought that this was really really interesting. Could you elaborate a little bit? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we've been doing PRP injections um, in... Well, actually, first, I should probably yeah. ask, like, what is PRP? Oh, yes. <laughs> good, good point. So PRP is platelet-rich plasma, and it's basically, we, we take some blood from the patient, we, we centrifuge it or spin it, and collect the platelets and kind of concentrate them. So we have this very high concentration of platelets from the patient. And the reason we want those is because the platelets have all these great growth factors that can do signaling in the body. They basically are, uh, they're responsible for a lot of the healing that goes on, you know, when you injure yourself and, and things like that. So for instance, with the vampire facial, which is, you know, was made popular many years ago. Um, the idea is that you essentially apply this, this PRP on the skin after like microneedling, or you can inject it. And, um, that those, that the, the platelets will, will send out signals to the nearby cells to, to make sure that they increase the production of collagen and elastin and hyaluronic acid and some of the things that um, maybe are not getting produced in such high quantities. So it's, it's going to be helping for skin. So the same thing applies with the sexual organs that we can actually inject PRP for, for, um, for, for women. I inject into the clitoris as well as into the anterior vaginal wall, kind of in the, in the area of the G spot uh, or the, the G spot's not really necessarily a thing, but in that general area. Um, mm -hmm. So we inject into that area and the PRP um, can increase blood vessel formation and blood flow to the area. Um, it can some, it can potentially change the, you know, collagen uh, production. It can potentially even affect some of the nerves and nerve uh, regeneration. But essentially what we're trying to do is, is improve pleasure, improve lubrication, improve, you know, orgasm, um, even stress urinary incontinence, which is like, you know, when you have urinary uh, bladder leaking, when you cough or sneeze, uh, mm -hmm. can be helpful for that as well sometimes. That is super interesting. Okay, so lots of follow-up questions here. <laughs> oh, is that, isn't it painful? It is if you don't use numbing cream. Yes. So oh gosh, what we do. imagine doing something like that without <laughs> numbing cream. I know. The clitoris especially, right? Um, we, do, we, we put a topical numbing cream on there usually for – 20 minutes or so ahead of time to, to make sure that it's nice and numb. And it's, it's actually, you know, sometimes a little pinch potentially, but it's not usually um, uncomfortable. So yeah, it's not a big deal. It's less painful than you would think. Are you like out of commission for weeks afterwards or like what, like you just go about living your life? Like, can you walk after? What's oh, the deal? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, there's no, not, I'm just picturing this poor girl like laying in her bed for like two weeks. No, that is not. Um, the needle is very, very small. Like it's, it's, a, it's a teeny tiny needle. And no, you basically, when it's done, you, you can have a little bit of mild uh, swelling or mild soreness because we just put some fluid, you know, in that area. But aside mm -hmm. from that, you're totally in commission and you can, you can have sex right away. You can exercise, you can do anything you want to. It's, it's really very simple. And so is a procedure like this, like, is it, is it like a facial almost where you have to like get it every, you know, six, eight months for like maintenance or like what, like, how does it work exactly? Yeah, that's a good, I, I you know, it depends on the person obviously and how old they are and kind of what else is going on. But something in the probably once a year range is about right. If, if you have good results from it, a lot of my, my patients will come in every year to year and a half and get another treatment with either PRP, or I also do some work with stem cells or other types of growth factors where we inject into the same areas. Um, but yeah, a lot of it depends on, you know, if you're, if you're young and healthy and 30 years old and don't really have a lot of problems, then, you know, you may be good to go for five years, but if you're 50 years old, maybe you need to touch up in six months. It just kind of depends. 
And is this also something that like you recommend for like older people or like any like pe- someone of any age can benefit from something like this? Yeah, any any age. I mean, obviously, you have to make sure that there's not any kind of um, structural problems. There's not any cancers going on in the area. Like you want to do a good exam and take a good history. But in general, people who are healthy, um, it can be beneficial for all different types of people. I will oftentimes pair it um, in the office. Like for instance, we might do a vaginal laser treatment or um, or something like that as well to, to kind of treat the whole vaginal canal and and that can be great as well. But uh, but yeah, these are these are super easy, you know, thirty minute total kind of procedures. Wait, so now I have another question, which is what is a vaginal laser treatment? So vaginal lasers, there's all different types. There's, there's, you know, so you, as, as someone coming from skin, you probably know about like CO2 lasers for the face, um, you know, ablative lasers for the face. Well, we have the same thing for the vagina. We have ablative lasers, which are very similar to the face, although that, that the, the vagina actually heals up much faster, much, it's much less of a problem, much less painful. It's, it's much easier than a CO2 of the face. Um, and then we also have like radiofrequency, which you've, you know, we use that on the skin of the face, the neck to tighten. We also have that for the vagina. So we can do radiofrequency where we're just heating the tissue up, but we're not actually ablating it. We're not actually taking a layer off. And and that also works. And these are things that we use for women who have either uh, like loss of lubrication, or maybe they've had some vaginal laxity, um, things that kind of stretched out a little bit, or maybe even just loss of sensation, um, or they just want some tightening, you know, things like that. These, These lasers can be really great. Super interesting. So like, I know we've been talking about like how to sort of like enhance optimize all of these things. But something that I feel like is really, really important to discuss is the impact that sex has on our well-being. Because I think people like differentiate sex from the rest of their wellness. (laughs) I think it's just so linked. (laughs) It is. It's so like, it's it's funny. I was, um, I'll tell you a quick story here. So I was I was giving a talk in Italy a couple of years ago for Mind Valley, and um, and it ended up on YouTube, and all these people watched it, and there was like thousands of comments, you know. And it was a talk about sexual health, so it's very much kind of like this talk, like about blood flow and and nerves and things like that. But probably like a good quarter of the comments that I got were people that were just firing off insults to me, like calling me a slut or a nymphomaniac. What? or a prude or like I got all, all, you know, all edges. And what I remember thinking as I kept, I'm watching all these like random insults coming in. I was thinking, you know, if I had given the same talk about cardiovascular health or brain health or joint health or any of the other systems in the body, I guarantee I would not have gotten this many like angry comments. Like people are just very sensitive and kind of passionate about, about sexual health and not always in a good way. My jaw is literally on the ground. Like what? Yeah, it's actually. I mean, it's it's it was in the beginning. I was like, my feelings were kind of hurt. And then I was like, wait, what is going on? And then I tried to you know kind of dive into the psychology, and it's it's fascinating to me. But I think you're totally right. I think that um, that people don't talk about sexual health as part of general health. So what you know, there's so many things that we know that having an active, healthy sex life we, that are that are beneficial to regular you know, your whole general your whole general self. Um, so we know, for instance, that people who have a regular sex, which is usually like once or twice a week is kind of what's considered, you know, active in the studies that have done. Um, mm-hmm. They have better immune systems um, that, you know, for instance, they're better able to, uh, to, 
prevent themselves from getting colds, which is fascinating, especially in a a time with COVID, we're looking at, you know, like immunity and all of that. So there's a link between immunity and and, an active sex life. Um, You know, it's been, sex is beneficial for sleep, for, for stress. And people who have regular sort of healthy sex lives have less problems with anxiety and depression. Uh, Certainly couples that are, you know, having, engaging in regular sex are going to generally be healthier and happier as a couple. Um, You know, there's, there's, there's all kinds, there's even potentially some longevity benefits, although the, the data is still kind of early, but there's so many things that sex does for us. That's positive, positive that people just really don't talk about because the subject is, is uh it's only portrayed in the media you know in kind of one way that is so interesting i actually had no idea about the immune system and sex being related that's that's incredible yeah there's um there's only one there's only one uh recent study that i've seen but essentially that people who had sex one to two times a week were shown to have higher iga levels which are essentially it's a, a type of um immune response in their saliva and thus had better protection against some of the colds uh, out there. So it's kind of interesting. Wow. That is really, really fascinating. I also want to ask you about masturbation because I feel like this is something, again, like it's, it's been portrayed as one way and like people sometimes think of it as like quote unquote dirty, like from, from a medical standpoint, is this something that you think is like a beneficial thing? Yes, I do. I think it is, it's beneficial because it, I think, especially for women, it allows, you know, exploration of yourself and your own body. And I have a lot of patients actually who have come in to see me because even, you know, I'm talking about women who are 35, 40, 50 years old, who've had kids, who've been married for a number of years, but who've never had an orgasm. And Mm -hmm. this is not all that uncommon, but a lot of them, um, I actually live in a, in a place where there's a, there's a lot of, uh, sort of religious pressure on, on women not to masturbate. And, Mm And they they just have never they've never done any self exploring they don't they've never even looked at their anatomy um, or you know or touched themselves and the problem with that is that then you don't know what makes you know what feels good to you or what makes things uh, amazing for you and so it's hard to hard to teach your partner it's hard to you know like you just you don't know so I think that you know for even for healthy relationships knowing what works well for you what makes you have better sexual responses is really important because otherwise you can't tell your partner. <laughs> Absolutely, so, yeah. So yeah, I've actually prescribed uh, I've actually prescribed masturbation to my patients um, a number of times and some of them probably went home and and thought that I was the like the devil's work, but I really <laughs> do think it's important. <laughs> I love that. Just like prescribe <laughs> masturbation, go to a doctor. That's what's prescribed. Doctor's orders. <laughs> That's what I told them. I was, because they came to me, you know, a lot of them will come to me wanting a procedure. And as I talk to them about like, well, what have, what have you tried? What have you not tried? You know, tell me the situation. I'll learn that they don't actually need a procedure. Um, they don't need to spend any money. They just need to spend some time with themselves and, um, and learn about their bodies. And I think that that's really important for both, both men and women, obviously. That's really fascinating. So you speak about um, a lot of women never having experienced orgasms. So like from, I guess, like, again, like a, like a standpoint of like, how, like, how is it good for you? Like, is it, is it good for you to have orgasms? Because I feel like people just need to hear these things. Orgasms are very good for you. There's a release of all kinds of excellent hormones uh, during orgasm that are, you know, oxytocin and serotonin and all these feel good hormones, these bonding hormones. Also, it just feels really good. I mean, there's, there's, you know, it's, it's one of the, 
best feelings ever. And it is unfortunate that a lot of people are have not been able to have orgasm. But I do think that with proper um, with proper coaching or proper education, that a lot of women actually you know, most of the people who have been unable to have orgasms probably can have them. It's probably not a, a physical problem or a structural problem. It's probably just um, some other kind of issue. You know, for instance, one of the things that uh, a lot of women don't know is that only about 20% of women are able to come to orgasm through regular kind of penetrative vaginal sex. And so despite all the pornos that are out there and all of the sort of non-pornos, like all the things out there that, that tell us that we should be having multiple orgasms just from having, you know, vaginal sex, only 20% or less of women orgasm that way. And it's, that's, and no one even really knows that. So I have a lot of people who, who don't, don't know that. And they're just having sex, you know, all the same way they always did. And they're not having orgasms. And, um, you know, the problem is that, the, that they're not really paying as much attention to the clitoris and sort of the foreplay part than, um, than they might ought to. And that can make a huge difference. I was literally just going to say that, like, of course, like, you know, the porn industry has had us believe something completely, you know, like incorrect, you know, and like you, you hold yourself up to these like impossible standards as a result. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of the male partners anyway, you know, don't really even know that that's, yeah. a, like, that that's a problem. Like they're just like, you know, oh man, look at me. I'm like pounding away on my, my girlfriend for all this time. And, you know, I'm sure she's loving it, but it, she's probably not loving it. Like there's a good chance, like 80% of the time that she needs something else. And, um, and people just don't, people don't know that a lot of, a lot of men don't know that at least usually female, female couples usually know that, but, but male, female couples often have problems. Yeah, for sure. If, if a woman, um, kind of wants to be like, is looking for resources to learn more about like how she can achieve orgasms or like how, you know, she can, she can pleasure herself more. Like what, like what are some resources you recommend they turn to or like coaches, like, like where can they go? Um, there's a great book called She Comes First uh, that I love that I think is worth um, worth. It's it's by um, Ian Kerner, I believe. Um, he makes it's a it's a great book that basically talks about technique and um, definitely highly recommend that a lot of people read that. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the other books I've read. So many excellent books on this subject, but I would start there. That one is a good like easy read, and you know by the end of it like whoever is reading it, female, male, whoever, like will have a much better understanding of like how to reach that, that place. I love that. Okay. Last question for you. What can women do to really optimize their sex life? Like if you can leave us with like a few tips. Oh, that's so, that's hard to, to put in a couple of tips. You know, the first thing I would say is don't, don't stress about it. Like one thing that I see so much is that that there's all these people, women have these expectations of themselves and how they should, you know, should look and how they should act and how much sex they should have and how, you know, there's so many things that that we're like, you know, we're trying to sort of live up to. And, you know, the first thing is kind of letting go of those expectations, whether it's from, you know, your parents or your husband or your boyfriend or whatever. Um, just let go of that. Like there's no wrong, you know, 
amount of sex or type of sex or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, and then giving and being patient with yourself as well. And and sort of understanding that it's, it's totally fine if it takes you 30 minutes or 45 minutes or, or longer to, to kind of get in the mood and to eventually reach orgasm. Whereas with, you know, with men, it it takes a couple of minutes really. So Mm -hmm. it's it's a huge time difference and that's okay. Like be patient, enjoy it. Um, Understand that that's kind of the ride is part of it, you know, like enjoy the ride and, um, and don't, don't judge yourself for not being able to be as fast as, uh, as guys, just be excited that you get to have all this time, you know, spent on yourself, (laughs) on you. Love that. Thank you so much, Dr. Amy. Tell everyone where they can find you before we wrap. Uh, so I'm very active on Instagram. I try to do some educational stuff there. It's Dr. Amy B. Killen. And then I also have a website is Amy, uh, dramykillen.com. Um, and I'm also on Facebook and YouTube as well. I think on YouTube it's Amy Killen MD. And I have uh, some videos and things on there as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you.